Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Gusto, go, set up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howell. Let's not waste any time and get right into it as we're rolling along in the offseason National Signing Day in the rearview mirror. And the countdown can officially begin to spring practice. That's going to start March 23rd under Steve Sarkeesian. He announced that in his signing day press conference. So we officially start to march toward that on this show. And you can get every episode of Longhorn Blitz Anywhere you get your podcast, just search for Horns 24-7 Podcast to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz, State Recruiting, and the flagship. Search Horns 24-7 Podcast. Subscribe, and don't forget to like us and leave us a five-star review. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz Sunday Daily Fantasy Guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about yourself? Not too shabby. And the third member of our team, our lockdown corner on the show, Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim 4 Forward, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003, spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Blocks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that team ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod B, Thanks how are you, sir? Show, Appreciate it. Uh, gentlemen, any quick thoughts on the Super Bowl? Anything you can relate to Texas? I know Alex Okafor was the only lifetime longhorn in the game this year. Didn't end so well for himself or the Kansas City Chiefs. 31-9 loss to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Rod, you and I uh, had an interesting conversation years ago. This was a long time ago now. I think we were over doing shows at the other places. As a matter of fact, I know we were. And I was still hesitant to uh, to kind of put Tom Brady over John Elway in my, my personal quarterback rankings of all time. But uh, he, he's in a different stratosphere now. Anything Rod Texas related schematically uh, or just thoughts in general on uh, what we watched in Super Bowl 55? Uh, man, that was, it was a surprising outcome. I did not expect Tampa Bay to blow out. Kansas City. I could have seen the game going a lot of different ways. Maybe even Kansas City blowing out Tampa, but I did not see Tampa Bay blowing out Kansas City. And mostly, I think it just showed you that how important offensive line play, right? We know Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes yeah. is a next-level player. He's unbelievable. And I think he is going to end up in a, in a conversation, a rarefied air of quarterback conversation later in his career. And he was still making some miracles happen in that game. But if you can't win the line of scrimmage, uh, football uh, is still a game that comes down to trench warfare and Kansas City having four backup offensive linemen, no matter what schemes and concepts and cheat codes that Andy Reid tried to throw out there, 
it didn't matter because Vita Vea, Nadama Kung Su, uh, Jason Pierre Paul, and Shaq Barrett were some grown men, and they didn't blitz. Uh, you know, they didn't blitz much. Todd Bowles, give him some credit, man. He actually yeah. went against what is usually his uh, in his football DNA. I think in the last five years he's always been top five in blitz rate in the nfl but he knew that patch mahomes is the best quarterback versus the blitz in the league you almost make things easier for him when you blitz so they didn't blitz much i think they blitz six out of the 56 dropbacks on mahomes it was all an organic pass rush uh they rushed uh four or fewer rushers i believe on uh 27 of the 29 uh pressures that they got it was just with wow. four or fewer rushers. So that was big. It was the second most pressures uh, versus four or fewer rushers over the last 10 years um, against, uh, I mean, for Todd Bowles, any Todd Bowles led defense. He played two high safety. 29, 29 pressures, Rod? Yep. They had 29 pressures in that game. They actually. Man. Brady only pressured four it, times. Mahomes, if you go look at it overall. Uh, Mahomes was pressured 29 out of 56 drawbacks, most of any quarterback in Super Bowl history, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Brady was pressured on only four of 30 drawbacks. That was the lowest of his Super Bowl career. So, I mean, it's it, it was it was it was the old adage and the old football logic that if you can pressure the quarterback, uh, you can win the game. You keep your quarterback clean, you're going to win the game. That's what it came down to. Great game plan by Todd Bowles. That's in a nutshell, yeah. man. We got to give him a ton of credit. For coming up with that game plan, especially after what they did to them in week, what was that, uh, week seven or eight when they faced them the week first 12. time. So yep. I, that's what I took from it. And, and, and what Tybo's runs, you want to bring it back to Texas, he runs a two, you know, kind of that two, four, five. I mean, he runs mm-hmm. those two big D tackles inside with Sue and Vita Vea, Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre Apollo, his hybrid stand up defensive ends on the outside. He's got two really fast linebackers inside with Devin White and Levante David, who was a former big 12 player, so he's used to that. Those guys can fly sideline to sideline. He did a great job of neutralizing the underneath passing game. Um, and then, of course, they play five DBs on the back end, and those guys are really versatile on the back end. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to relate it back to Texas, hopefully uh, that's ideally what you see at Texas. Well, and as a Texas fan watching it, the pressure and seeing it happen and what a great offense can be deduced to if you aren't able to block up front. And it gave us flashes of what you saw at times is more than a decade ago. But at Texas here and over the past decade, all the way back to when Indomitian Sue was chasing around Colt McCoy and Nebraska getting pressure and just totally can come and disrupt everything, the timing. And it's all about timing in offense these days. And you saw Tom Brady and the timing of that offense and being able to age gracefully because of scheme. And, I mean, you can try your best, but if the front four aren't going to give you that first chance or going to be able to disrupt it, it really can throw every single thing off. And at Texas, you've seen what bad offensive line play can happen. And then also on the other side of it, you can see what can happen when you can get pressure with four. And it's something we've talked about with this Texas team and finally getting guys like Coburn and Collins up front to be those big bodies that very few it's uh, about as rare as it comes in college football is to be able to have that ability like the Clemson's Alabama's if you get to that elite level you can have a D-line like that that can accomplish that so even though Texas had been sort of lacking in those areas over the last decade when you watch a game like that you can see the pros from what can happen when you have it and you can when you're the victim of it you're quite familiar for Texas fans. 
Yeah, Rod, I think uh, kind of piggybacking on what Matt just said, I think when you look defensively at what Tampa did in that game, really, I mean, they when you when you defend the Chiefs, you have to approach it like you're defending a Big 12 offense with the spacing and the weapons and the speed that they have. And, Rod, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I and you follow way more NFL than I do and dig into more NFL numbers than I do. But Todd Bowles, everything that I read, blitz heavy, pretty much one high coverages but everything like you know you just laid it out not a lot of blitzing i think it's his lowest blitz percentage in the last five years i think that's what you said i think i've read that somewhere yeah. uh play play more a lot more too high coverage than mm-hmm. than we typically see i mean when you break it down they really defended kansas city like you would expect uh if you're peak with kowski or defensive coordinator in the big 12 facing an offense like i don't know like oklahoma's or an, an offense with air raid roots uh, that's kind of how you would defend them. It, it, it's it's kind of the NFL version of of what we saw last night. And to our point, but to Matt's point about you know Coburn and Collins and the difference makers and how those guys can be huge for Pete Kwiatkowski. Yeah, when you've got Vita Vea and Adama Kinsu up front, it, it can it can help you know a lot of a, a lot of the other stuff you're trying to do on on defense if those two guys are eating up front. Yeah, I and mean, that's the key to Kwiatkowski's defense, right? That's how you. Wins the numbers game is by initially up front, uh, you know, those guys demanding the double team. And then there's a domino effect of winning the numbers game on the back end because you can do that. And that's what allowed Tampa Bay to use too high. I think 87% of the time is what I read at next gen. And that's that's unlike a Todd Bowles team. Todd Bowles wants to get into play some man coverage and he wants to, you know, play single high, but he didn't. That was the, um, I believe the, 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 the most or the highest uh, rate of two high safeties that he played in like five years as a defensive coordinator. So you're right. He definitely decided that he was going to adjust his scheme, but you can do that and you can double Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill didn't see man coverage on any snap, not one single snap. They doubled them on every snap that you got to win the numbers game to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to double them unless you can win that numbers game on the back end. You got to start winning it on the front end. And even Kelsey, right? Kelsey was basically covered by Levante David and a defensive back most of the time, probably a safety over the top if I go look at it. And you're able to do that because you got these linebackers who are sideline to sideline players, theoretically. And that's what uh, Kwiatkowski wants too. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, all is uh, perfect and ideal. That's exactly how the Kwiatkowski scheme is supposed to defend a Big 12 offense. But um, I will say this, Andy Reid's game plan was just – it wasn't great. It was just a – it was a very uninspiring game plan from Andy Reid. I know Andy Reid's got yeah. a lot going on. He's got his son dealing with a situation with a young girl who is in uh, in critical condition right now. And that's – I think everybody's hearts, prayers are pretty much with that. It's the first thing that Andy Reid opened up his press conference with that. Actually, after the Super Bowl was, hey, I'm worried about this young lady in the hospital. Um, and that, I think that's where his heart and his mind was. Um, and there's – that makes him human, and that, that, yeah. I think that uh, that's something that prioritized should be uh, more important than football. But I do think it, it had an effect on their focus, on their intensity as a team. They just didn't look like they matched the intensity and the focus of Tampa Bay, and that game plan was uninspiring. It was almost like uh, Patrick Mahomes. Will, it was a Patrick Mahomes will save us game plan. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, it yeah. was uh, when you that's a bad game plan, Andy Reid. So Andy Reid got all coached, and that's rare. And that's, that's the good, is that the go with God game plan, Because he got out coached because 
he's dealing with a family issue and that is bigger than football and somebody's life is potentially uh, at stake. So, yeah, I just totally get why his game plan may have been uninspiring. But the fact of the matter remains, talking about football, that was an uninspiring game plan. That game was over with midway through the first quarter, in my opinion, because the, the adjustments were terrible. Yeah, the and the guys were ill-prepared. There. They were ill-prepared for the game plan of Ty Bowles. So that was no adjustment and no counter. It was a bad game plan by Andy Reid. I think he admitted that, too. Yeah, you look yeah. at the lack of adjustments. It basically the time that Mahomes had in. You look at Brady; it was the total opposite. Everything was schemed to get it out of his hands in the first two seconds, and he still had a lot of routes having to develop long downfield. And I was a bit surprised that you didn't see that adjustment. I thought coming into the game, knowing the way that the offensive line was in such a bad condition and going up against a front four that could get some pressure, that we were going to see a lot more inventive stuff around the line of scrimmage because we've seen that in the the past in the screen game but that offensive line it really does impact even blocking in the screen game and plays that are done behind the line of scrimmage actually become more precise and have to be more complex at times than ones in if you're relying on basically like you said Rod uh, well Pat can avoid the first man or avoid the rut pressure sort of seemed like the plan because they still were waiting for long developing routes and understandably so you can get back many drives in just two plays but the lack of adjustment was something that was also, as a Texas fan, it was something that you're yelling at the TV and looking at and hoping to see, and you don't see it. That's a go-with-God game plan, all right. It seemed that way. Well, I think he just thought Mahomes you – know, and Mahomes – by the way, Mahomes did make some amazing plays. Oh, yeah. Know, it hits him. He's falling um, He's falling Into the end zone? He's, he's being dragged to the ground, and he's throwing the ball – 40 yards downfield and hitting his receivers in the face mask. <laughs> and timing and it while yeah. he's being Touchdown thrown down, passes. like as I contort my shoulders, Ooh. I'm 360 and going to have the perfect timing to fit my arm throw right while I'm being tackled. Think it, about and it was how three different plays that game is if Hill catches that one deep. Think about, think about how amazing and extraordinary those plays are. That's momentum right there. Kelsey yeah. dropped yeah. one of those. I had Damian Williams dropped one in the end zone. It's like, dude, you got you to gotta catch one of those. And they catch one of those, the game could be a lot different. It was yep. just – it was weird how nobody else seemed to want to support what Patrick Mahomes was doing because he was – at one point he was a one-man show. It was still fun watching him throw incompletions. But yeah, no. Yeah, he didn't get a lot of help. He literally, I think, maybe surprised his receivers that he got rid of the ball. There were like three straight plays and they – all of which ended with the ball somehow thrown into the end zone, almost all of which went through a defender and into a receiver's hands. But I really think they might have been surprised that he even got rid of the ball. Yeah. So we're talking about quarterback play and offensive line play, and a lot of it leads us back to the topic at hand that we discuss each and every week on this show, which is Texas football. And, you know, <laughs> Rod, I had some of the same thoughts watching that those two offenses in that game and relating it to some of the stuff we saw from Texas and the Tom Herman. And I'm like, oh, even in the NFL, you can, you can motion guys and have pre-snap shifts. And, oh, you can be diverse with your personnel packages. And, oh, Tampa can put Mike Evans in the slot. Who I didn't know they could do that. So uh, <laughs> it just shows, it just shows you how, how diverse offenses can be, which takes us to Steve Sarkeesian. We broke this down in depth. Uh, you can go into the archives. We broke this down coming off of the uh, of the national championship game where Alabama beat Ohio State in Steve Sarkeesian's last game with Alabama. But guys, we're talking about Brady and Mahomes, and I want to take it back to the Forty Acres and talk about Casey Thompson and Hudson Card. No, we're not making uh, or uh, you know asinine comparisons here 
With that said, uh, Rod, that signing day press conference at Sarkhead, he talked about both Casey Thompson and Hudson Carr. He said he likes Casey Thompson's mature. First of all, he said he feels good about that position in regards to whether they need to get use one of those four spots they've got left that they're going to use on transfer portal guys in theory if one of those needs to be earmarked for a quarterback. He didn't say no, but everything he indicated, like he didn't out and out say no, we, we're, 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 we don't, you know, aren't going to recruit a quarterback. But he did say they feel pretty good about what they've got. Uh, so he likes Casey Thompson's maturity. Uh, he likes the skill set of Hudson Card. He's, he's done, you know, as a – a guy who evaluates quarterbacks, he's already evaluated Hudson Card from that standpoint. But right, I went and found this article, uh, Bruce Feldman, which, by the way, if you subscribe to this, if you're on, I know if you're an iTunes subscriber and you subscribe to the channel, uh, Chip Brown on the flagship, Chip's Monday version of the flagship is an interview. And last week's show, uh, he did an interview, a really in-depth piece uh, with Bruce Feldman. Uh, so definitely go check that out. So Bruce Feldman has an article up at The Athletic where he talked, Rod, to four coaches from the 2020 Texas staff who obviously for very for good reason wanted to remain anonymous. They were granted anonymity. And when they talked about the uh, the quarterback position, the anonymous coaches talked about the quarterback position, I just want to run this down and get thoughts from both of you guys. Uh, Casey is a good player, Coach 3 said of Thompson. Great personality. He's probably only 5'11", okay arm strength, throws a good catchable ball. He's accurate, has good touch. He's fast, mobile. I think he's a sub-4'5 guy, but I'd be shocked if Hudson's not the quarterback. I love the guy. Love his accuracy. Hudson can really drive the football. His footwork and agility to throw from any platform. He's a very intelligent kid. Here's the kicker. I think Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback ever in terms of skill set. This kid reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers and how he can move within the pocket and throw from different arm angles and make off-platform throws, and he's got really good agility. He's like a 4-5 or five guy, and I'm not BSing you. He's really that talented. Coach, too gushed about hard cards talent. Uh, Hudson has got a chance to be special. He's uh, he is r- ridiculously good. He can really spin it. He makes good decisions. He has a lot of, quote, it factor. Uh, he's going to be really good, Coach One said. I think he can be one of the best players in the country. So, Rod, this these are anonymous opinions from coaches no longer at Texas who saw every snap pretty much Hudson Card took in 2020. What do you make of three coaches saying, Casey Thompson's okay, but uh, Hudson Card's going to be the guy at some point? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there was some belief. Um, at least from people that I talked to, that Hudson Card before that Alamo Bowl, that he was considered to be the front runner uh, that was going to win that spot after Sam Ellinger left. Uh, I think the Alamo Bowl and that remarkable performance by Casey Thompson uh, opened a lot of eyes and it changed a lot of people's opinion about who would be the front runner for that position or the favorite to win that position. Uh, I think now you got yourself a healthy quarterback competition. I think that's the most important thing. Who's going to win it? We don't know. I mean, we don't know. (laughs) I tell people all the time about the quarterback position, man, it is, it is the toughest position to evaluate and it's probably even tougher the coach. That's a Bill Walsh quote. That ain't mine. (laughs) And I I don't think a lot of people really know how to evaluate. Now, I know Sark is one of those quarterback whisperers and nurturers, uh, but yet and still we don't know how the quarterback position is going to play out. There are so many intangibles, so many immeasurables to do with the quarterback position. We just don't know how it's going to work out, right? Tom mm-hmm. Brady 
uh, at one point, I love the stat, at one point he had 20, I believe the number is 23 uh, deep ball incompletions during the season. It was the longest streak for any quarterback through, uh, I think, like for like three years, right, since like 2017. He just couldn't complete a deep pass. That's when the narrative kept shifting in Tampa that oh, Tom's done, man. He can't even complete a deep pass. They just got to throw it short through some type of self-discipline and freakish uh, crystallized focus. This dude finished the season as the best deep ball passer in the league mm-hmm. for the last few <laughs> weeks. Like, how does that happen? Like, you, I, don't, I don't understand how that happens. Um, but I know quarterbacks go through this metamorphosis. They can... You know, that can be this transmogrification that they that they can go through. And it, it, it's it starts with this inner focus and it starts with, you know, them being uh, committed to it. Like I, I was there when at one point, you know, Sims had all of the physical tools and yet Major would go out there and Major was a better quarterback. And yet Major looked like a, a frat kid with love handles and his helmet was too big for him. But that's the quarterback position, right? The quarterback position is, yeah, you can have a freakish guy like uh, that, that can look the part like a uh, Jevin Sneed may look the part. Mm-hmm. Then a Cole McCoy will come in and a Cole McCoy wins the job, right? And that's the quarterback position in a nutshell. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I, yes, it's great that, you know, this guy thinks Hudson Card is going to be Aaron Rodgers, but everybody thought Garrett Gilbert was going to be the next coming of – the next championship quarterback at Texas. And it didn't happen at Texas. And yet he's made a decent career for himself as a professional quarterback uh, because he stayed committed to it or reached his ceiling. So quarterback yeah, projections, uh, you know, at this point, that that's great that everybody thinks it's going to be awesome. But Gerard Hurd was going to be the next great thing. So we saw one game from I think Casey yeah. is going to be able to build on that one quarter that he had that was phenomenal. We don't know because Gerard Hurd once had a great quarter and a great half. And so did Tyrone Swoops had a great quarter and a great half. They ended up becoming great quarterbacks at Texas. They end up switching positions as a matter of fact. So we just don't know. It's great to have, keep the quarterback room full, but the quarterback position is one of the greatest mysteries in all sports. You just don't know. And look in the NFL, yeah. look what's going on right now. They thought Carson Wentz was an MVP. Now they want to trade him. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody was it. Jerry Goff was in a Super Bowl. Like, ah, we got to get that guy the hell out of here. He's a bum. Right. I yeah. mean, we don't know about the quarterback. Dak Prescott is the only quarterback from that 26 that either wasn't benched. That is out of the league or wasn't traded. Right. Like, we just don't know. We don't know. We don't know about quarterback. So it's great. Just that room, stockpile talent. Hell, I wouldn't doubt if. The kid um, uh, from Austin High. What's his name? Right? Charles, Charles, Charles Wright. Wright. Charles Wright. He may yeah. end up being the best damn quarterback of the bunch. <laughs> we just don't know. And I think, honestly, Sark, if he, with all the wisdom that he has, he'd probably tell you the same thing. Like, yeah, we don't know. You got to wait until you see yeah. that. I mean, fits so big. And with that quarterback position, it really does sort of every single next day, it's going to be does this quarterback continue to evolve his the way that offenses get reacted to by the especially in the Big 12 like these days you've seen almost everything and it's like the constant evolution of quarterbacks and if you aren't a quarterback that's able to adjust to the defense like you might be good for a year or two and in college you luckily get a small sample and you see these little hyper-packed punches of these guys but if you aren't continuing to get better in modern football it really does catch up to you these days and that's why you like to have the ability to have multiple guys right now we got two guys that are mad d1 ready and ready to hop in and play and then it gets to the level of competition amongst each other which ones fit the personnel which ones have chemistry with the players and then when you see i mean we've here with 
simply at the peak of the peak of college chemistry. But, I mean, that takes time to develop. You can't have that out the gate. Out the gate, every quarterback struggle. That's why when you see one do something like Casey Thompson, you get teased and you see the eye candy. You're like, oh, this is good. But that's just one game. You got the backup quarterback syndrome that you're going to always have the guy come in and everybody gets excited because there's no tape on him. But then you get the month to adapt to him. And most of the time, catch up. Now, if you have somebody that's special, that's special, and you ride that and you start to film, form that chemistry with your coaches and with your teammates. And that's why it's so volatile and it stays volatile all the way. It's just good if you got multiple quarterbacks in there. Hasn't had multiple quarterbacks in there. And I liked how you opened that, Jeff, by saying that Texas basically is still lying about heights on the rosters by being like, oh, yeah, he's just 5'11". Yeah, that's uh, like we're oh, – trust me, we're going to see during pre-draft measurable Sam Cosby's not going to come he's in 6'7". Um, <laughs> just, just like Connor, just like Connor, Connor Williams was – I think I listed Connor Williams at 6'6 six, six or 6'7". Six, and he's and like 6'2". I think he's wow. more like 6'4". <laughs> To, 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 to both of you guys, some theory, Rod, I want to throw out there. Not a theory, but just kind of spitballing it in my brain. But, Matt, kind of what you said, Rod, you, you mentioned the depth, too. I love this quote from Steve Sarkeesian. And we got plenty of signing day content up on the go, uh, getting the, the news feed and everything. And I've got a lot of it on my at Jeff Howe 247. Uh, get over to Hornsworth for Chip Brown did a story kind of on the quarterback, uh, the quarterback picture right now. And that's where I'm pulling these quotes from, uh, from Steve Sarkeesian signing a press conference. This is, uh, to what both of you guys said, this is him talking about depth. Uh, quote, with the transfer portal now at, the, at that position, the guys just don't stick around as long. So you've got to be prepared to work with two or three and really develop them and get them to the point where you feel good about it. I'm not sure where we're at in the position, but I've got to wrap my head around the fact that it's not six or seven years ago when you'd have four or five guys on your roster at that they just don't stick around. You've got to be ready to work with two or three. And so I, I do like the fact that he's very upfront. And, and Rod, I, you know, I don't think any coach is 100% transparent in a press conference, but it is refreshing that you do feel like Steve Sarkeesian, you are getting a, a little bit more of a peek behind the than maybe you've got with Tom Herman, just in terms of a guy that uh, is really as accurate a picture as he feels comfortable with. Uh, in terms of how he views certain positions. And I know it's early and maybe that changes, but I do think it's a little bit refreshing. But, Rod, going back to, to kind of you – know, and we've seen a lot of quarterback stuff, <laughs> just stuff in the last 10 years covering this program. And, Rod, I, I just – I want to just have it wrap their heads around the fact that tra- the trajectory of quarterbacks, it's not linear. And like you, I think you, I think coaches understand that with players, but I think with quarterbacks, when they have the ups and downs, I think even coaches wrapped up in how high the highs are. Yeah. And likewise, to Rod, you mentioned the volatility of the trademark in the NFL, and we're talking about the college level. I think they can get too freaked out when the when things hit a low point, so they don't really know how to react and handle it, and that's where shuffling just becomes a mess. Like I, I think. And that's why I think coaches misevaluate the position of college. And they misevaluate it in the NFL. I think, to me, I think that coaches, I think, just get either way too excited or just overly freaked the way things go, especially when you've got a guy that's so early on in his career. Yeah, I, I think that's really make a good point. You know, it's it's such a, a broad topic, right? A macro to micro topic. Like, I think I think nature versus a big part of it, too. 
want to make the quarterback position an exact science. We really do. We want to make it come down to hand measurables and, and how tall he is and his, uh, you know, the the velocity of the arm, right? The, the throwing speed and how slow and all these different things that are scientifically quantifiable. And we would like to go, okay, if he can do this and he's got this many starts and he's in this and this and this, oh, I can put all this together and boom, I can evaluate the well. And the truth is, it's not a science. It's an art form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is what Bill Walsh understood, right? Bill Walsh's quote is, very few people can coach the quarterback and even fewer can evaluate them. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not a science. And I think we have been programmed to believe, oh, it's a science. It's a science, man. And science is about being able to replicate results. And that's what they want to do with the combine. Right. Oh, a guy throws this far. He runs this fast. He looks like this. He's this tall. Hands is big. Boom. That's a that's a quarterback. And they were going from almost a Bill Walsh model of the West Coast quarterback in that sense. But then they realized that while Bill Walsh had perfected the West Coast quarterback with Joe Montana at the same damn time, he started looking for Steve Young because he already mm-hmm. knew that there is no prototypical quarterback. Um, and he knew at that that at the time. That's why he was he was obsessed with with Steve Young, the next phase of the quarterback position. So I think oftentimes, you know, that. You know, the not realizing that it's not a science, it's an art form. So, yeah, there is a little bit of um, the immeasurables in there and the intangibles that needs to be figured out and how hard they work. And Tom Brady's competitive sickness. Who knew that being that being at Michigan and having to compete with Drew Henson over and over again, that would train his competitive sickness. Right. It would almost make him reliant upon his competitive sickness. And then Belichick was smart enough to know, all right, you know what? I'm never going to let you be comfortable here with the Patriots either. Because yes. I think the best comes out in you when you're competing. Never right? So whether it's Drew Bledsoe, whether I'm drafting Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm drafting whoever, Rohan Davey, I'm going to keep a quarterback behind you, a young one, <laughs> that'll always keep you looking over your shoulder. And that's going to train his competitive sickness. And then now Tom Brady, he can use it at will. He can flip it on when he needs it to, right? Where he's arguing with the honey badger. But now he knows that that competitive sickness that's what sets him apart that's that's mm-hmm. what set michael jordan apart that's what sets him apart from everybody else nobody obsesses over winning like tom brady he said he doesn't sleep now when he misses throws he said he can't sleep when he misses throws not just losing a game not losing a game missing a throw <laughs> he thinks about it over and over again obsessing about it right and he's now cut out you know he's not eating any sugar he doesn't eat certain foods everything to try to make sure his body is performing at the optimal level who knew that was going to be tom brady in the year 2000 nobody yeah no right? it's you have to identify those qualities in that person and that's not a science sorry coach it ain't a science. I know Belichick was thinking, uh, quarterback's a science. This guy's getting older. Father Time's going to catch up with him because Father Time is undefeated. Yes, it is. It is. But it's Father Time's never seen anything like Tom freaking Brady. Yeah. <laughs> so even Father Time doesn't know how to handle it. So I'm just saying this. There's so many different things. And like I say, it's a nature versus nurture thing, too, right? We all want to say uh, it's it, it's all nature, right? It's all how this quarterback was born. He was born with this height. He was born with this arm. He was born with all these measurables. But you're not thinking about the the, the nurture element of that, right? How was that, how, how was that quarterback raised? How was he programmed? What's in his DNA? Being at Michigan with Lloyd Carr, uh, you know, rotating quarterbacks, like a, I don't think that was a smart move, but it did turn Tom Brady into a competitive 
freak. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the nurture. Look at Patrick Mahomes. You don't think being in the air raid, being being in the Big 12, trained that young man to, oh, I always got to go out and score. Oh, no, no, we always searching for big plays. I got to score 50. I got to score 60. Why? Because he was in the Big 12 losing games, scoring 50 points. <laughs> so, so I just think we have not wrapped our brain around the immense magnitude of the quarterback position and what it all entails. Remember, Russell Wilson was third round pick, and they had brought all these quarterbacks in from Seattle. And in one preseason game, Pete Carroll said, uh, Russell Wilson's our quarterback. Yeah, Matt Flynn, you're out. <laughs> I brought a lot of people in, but that guy's our quarterback because you got to have that it quality too, right? That's what DKR talked about, the it quality. Do they have the it quality? You know it when you see it. You may not be able to quantify it or measure, but you know it when you see it. And you know it when you're around it. That quarterback, although he's 5'11", he's the tallest man in the room. That's Sam Ellinger. You get my point? Like, we just don't get how big it is. Oh, and you're spot on <laughs> so much there that that type of – I mean, it's impossible to go in and recruit and understand a kid's – intangibles but like you have to really know a person for a long time to be able to at least like pull out those traits for a college coach to be able to just have to do it in a couple recruiting visits is nearly an impossibility unless somehow you have some type of deeper connectivity to the mind because I mean just how hard it is to prepare but then in addition to that like how does this person perform decision making on every snap and you have to do it consecutively for 400 consecutive snaps throughout a season and the idea that the consistency Consistency that has to be there in the mental decision making of the quarterback, the thought process is not to mention the preparation and then the work ethic in the weight room and then the being able to just be smart enough to grasp these complex concepts and then to adapt in real time and have to have a photographic memory the way that they love, you know, Peyton Manning. Whenever a few teams bring these people in and they're like, all right, this guy, he just sees a snapshot in his mind. It's Andrew Luck. He's a savant at it. He's LeBron. There are certain players that can show those skills early. But asking a college coach to be able to find those things in a high school kid, it's just so volatile and so hard to be able to get that chemistry. But that's like why throwing the numbers at it. It's sort of like the theory that you saw NBA teams doing with a draft at the top. It's like, oh, well, we don't know when we're going to get that number one overall pick or if that number one or two or three is going to go. But if we get three or four shots at it, in three or four years, we're going to hit on one. And that's sort of how these coaches sort of need to approach the quarterback position, and especially with the grad transfer market and the normal transfer portal. And I like the way that Sark, Sark he, he actually, this is off on a little side tangent, but when you've heard him talk about the transfer portal, it isn't necessarily in a negative connotation, and it sort of reminds me of the way kids these days are raised hope-based instead of fear-based. And a lot of coaches coached in a fear-based mentality, and they sort of approach this transfer portal as this negative area and going into the portal and something that can be viewed that if you actually go into this in a positive way of thinking, that's something that you can really exploit and be able to find and use and embrace in these kids. And also, you know, the cream rises to the top in these levels of competition. All I'm trying to do is get the best quarterback for my team. If this room needs that competition, sort of the way that we talk about what lit the fire under a guy like Brady or at for Texas fans, a guy like Colt McCoy, that competition and waking up every day, the grind, it sort of was like their hobby, their football lifers. They love like, yeah, here Brady, he had wanted since as a kid to beat Montana, but I guarantee like right now, he's probably like, yeah, you know what though? John Elway, he's that one guy that got to go out on top. I'm going to win back to back 
Super Bowls and go out on top. Like he's trying to one-up every single quarterback. And like to find those traits in a kid that's in high school is so hard. But if you give yourself three or four shots on three or four really good ones in that room and have them compete, you can form an environment that can foster a locker room that Rod explains that's sort of able to be that epicenter of where a good team begins. Rod, uh, you mentioned a Bill Walsh quote. I'll give you another one just to show what an inexact science this is. This has been attributed to Bill Walsh. You ready for this? <clears throat> yeah. Rick Rick Meyer is the next Joe <laughs> Montana. Yes. Wow. Even 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 Bill Walsh had his misses. And you know, I, I think we Three. can wax this, we can we can wax nostalgia about the quarterback position at Texas guys. But I mean, there were there was a time where. Uh, you know, Greg Davis had a commitment from Billy Don Malone and thought said, oh, no, we're good at the quarterback position. And you've got Tim Brewster knocking down the door in the offensive meeting saying, are you freaking kidding me? We, we, we need to go recruit Vince Young out of Houston. Like, we need to stay on Vince Young. This guy's a this, this guy's a gay, he's a program changer. He's a franchise quarterback. And it took Tim Brewster, like, basically bugging, as, as I understand it, bugging the hell out of Greg Davis to make him see it. I Matt Max told the story. Many times that, you know, back in the days, like it hasn't been that long ago when coaches couldn't observe offseason workouts or anything. Uh, Mac talking about meeting with his guys at Big 12 media days before the 06 season. And he's ready to hear about this exciting quarterback battle. And <clears throat> he had guys like Tim Crowder and Justin Blaylock were the captains at that point and were at Big 12 media days. And Mac said he asked him, so how's the quarterback battle going? And, you know, he thought, you know, he's going to hear about this great competition. They were all like, oh, the Colts, the guy. Yeah. Colts, the guy. He wanted- said, really? Seriously, like yep. they're like, no, no, trust us. He's 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 the guy. He's gonna be the guy. So <laughs> it's not like even though like we, we can say, oh yeah, Colt McCoy and Vince are the two greatest quarterbacks in school history, they didn't necessarily have the hundred percent vote of confidence because yep. of Billy Don Malone and Jevin Sneed. Billy so, Don Malone. <laughs> That's a great Yeah, story. Billy Don Malone just sounds like a fake person. But Rod, isn't that Rod Rod, you can you can definitely see Tim Brewster and Greg Davis having it out about a quarterback discussion, can you not? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And think about how <laughs> next next level um VY was. I mean, yeah, of mm-hmm. course there are you know there are lots of dual threat quarterbacks out there, but VY was special, we can all say in retrospect. And get and this is why it does it takes a village too, right? I always say the woman you marry is not the hottest woman you ever dated. The woman you marry is the right one for you. This is about compatibility, right? It's about being compatible. And you got to figure out what quarterback is compatible with you because picking a quarterback is like picking a significant other. So when you found VY, if Greg Davis wanted to be stubborn and put VY in the same offense he was running mm-hmm. with, with Chris Sims, he'd have failed miserably. Yep. Matter of fact, we never hear about Vince Young ever again. Somebody probably takes his spot. And then we never, and VY probably transfers. We never hear about Vince Young. But because Greg Davis knew, all right, you know what? I need to put him in the right system and I need to be uh, less stubborn and rigid about my way of doing things. I got to think about his way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, you made magic happen. Same thing with Andy Reid, right? Andy Reid's offense, um, it, it has so many air raid tendencies. It's crazy in terms of the concepts they use. He called Cliff Kingsbury a genius because Cliff Kingsbury gave him the playbook. He's like, hey, man, you want to know how to use Patrick Mahomes? This is how you do it. And Andy Reid took it to the next level. They got the widest splits of any offensive line in the league. That's air raid-ish. The routes they run, very air raid-like, and that's because he put them in the perfect system. This air raid, Coriel, West Coast 
um, Frankenstein of an offense that Eric, that Andy Reid built. And I mean, when when the great late great Bill Walsh comes up with the West Coast offense, it is not him coming up with this beautiful uh, improvised innovation. It's ingenuity. No, he was trying to build an offense around Virgil Carter, who was a quarterback who was really smart, didn't have a strong arm, but was really accurate. And said, "All right." Let's build an offense around Virgil Carter. And he came up with the West Coast offense trying to yeah. achieve compatibility. And this is the key. This has got to be the case for Sark. And this is why I'm actually really confident that Sark will build a great offense around whoever the quarterback's going to be. Um, Tom Herman, he did not do this, right? Tom Herman, he only, he was only, he only evolved so much to make that offense uh, tailor-made to Sam Ellinger. And I think he stopped around uh, around mid-2019. Mm-hmm. They stopped evolving that offense to make it Sam Ellinger-friendly. And it, sh- it should continue to always evolve to be as quarterback-friendly for that quarterback who's starting every year he's there. It should, get more and, it should get more and more comfortable and easier for him to play within that offense. And that didn't happen for Sam. The offense actually got tougher for Sam to uh to be able to use it got tougher for Sam to be able to implement that offense and execute that offense as he got older and aged within the pro spread of Tom Herman and that's horrible. You should always get better and more comfortable within the offense and you should become more efficient and more effective in it. And that didn't happen to Sam. That means a quarterback uh off the offense wasn't quarterback friendly enough. Yeah, you know, one thing that uh, I thought was interesting, Rod, that Steve Sarkeesian mentioned in, in talking about quarterbacks, and I've got a story on this at Horns 24-7. You can go to hornfm.com and uh, hear Bucky Godbolt and Aaron Hogan, their full interview with Steve Sarkeesian. This was ahead of signing day, but I went through and broke down uh, some of the quotes. And one of one of the questions that I think it was E. Hogan that asked him, what, what do you look for in a quarterback? And he went down through some of the traits, Rod, but he yeah, said one traits. that's really interesting and I think kind of gives you insight into how quarterback gurus now are looking at that position. You know, he mentioned competitiveness and all that fun stuff, but he said in this day and age with as many RPO throws, with with the RPO game and a quick game, got to have a guy with fast hands. He described it as almost he's got to be like a second baseman or a shortstop and be able to make that quick transfer. And this goes back to something that, Two things on this. One, I'd always heard Steve Spurrier say the quarterbacks that he liked in the fun and gun, that he liked baseball players at that quarterback position because they had fast hands and could be able to make quick throws. Change angles. There was that. Yeah. And then and then two, think about at the at the pro level, think about all the elite quarterbacks in the NFL right now who have extensive baseball backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady has a baseball background, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. Like go down the list of guys, Matt Stafford played some baseball, like mm-hmm. all the guys at that level that have baseball backgrounds. And a lot of those that come, you can tie that into being a multi-sport athlete, being competitive, but Rod, maybe that's, I don't know, that that's not the first time I've heard it, but kind of tying everything together now, like maybe that's one tool that people miss in the quarterback evaluations where maybe the guy that's just grown up in, in the quarterback camps all his life, maybe that guy is not, Maybe he taps out quicker at some point than a guy that might be playing both sports. And then when he gets to college, that might be the first time he's ever really devoted his whole time to football and not split it between football and baseball. Yeah. No, I actually love that too. And I wonder, you know, that's the first time I've heard somebody put it like that, the quick hands. We've heard the quick release. I think because football is becoming more and more, What's the word I'm looking for? Maybe improvisational. Yep, 100. Right? Yeah. There's more. There's, there's more happening outside of the pocket. You have to have that put, game too on top of your pocket. Yeah. Game. 
right? Because football was, you know, back in the day, we put it in a phone booth. It was built. Yep. It, was, it was. They tried to keep it in a phone booth. All the concepts. They, they wanted to keep it within those hashes. That was the whole point for the quarterback. And if you watch Brady. He, he represents the old regime because Brady never operates outside those hashes. Yeah, it's like you have Brady, a pitching right. machine back there, but the old quarterbacks hey. were like a pitching machine coming just straight from the it, same spot in the pocket. Yeah, it's very rare you see him have to make those improvisational throws. That's exactly what you want, Brady, right? But Brady is representing the old regime. And now with all the uh, sophisticated pressures and simulated pressures and really great athletes uh, playing defender in the NFL and even at the college level, uh, you've got to be ready for your quarterback to improvise. And you brought up the RPO throws, Jeff. That's a big part of it, too. I think because now we're seeing – the the, the the there's the short passing game is like an extension of the running game now mm-hmm. right and that's those quick passes those quick rpos those smoke routes you're seeing a lot more of that and that requires you to get your get your quarterback um to have that quick transfer right get the ball boom and get it out like yeah. so i think it's, it's just football is just more improvisational than it used to be and i think you want to be prepared with a quarterback that can adjust on the fly and that can be ready for that quick second reaction. And that's what you get for the baseball players, right? That quick second reaction. Yeah. It's like a middle infielder. And that's the biggest part of it is like, you think about RPO, not only do you have to process where the ball is going, but you have to throw in these tunnels. They had some great shots, like from the goal line cam with Mahomes, the throw that he threw out of his end zone to get to Tyreek Hill. And I mean, you have three different helmets that he's throwing sidearm around the guy, every RPO you're having to, change arm angles it's almost like a middle infielder getting the ball coming up from uh turning two and having to be like a a shortstop and throw a ball sidearm and like you have to have the it's cool to hear you explain Hudson Card with those type of skills the way Aaron Rodgers normalized that behavior and you have guys like Mahomes and all these youngins even I mean Matt Stafford was doing it a decade ago but these guys like you said you have that raw athleticism the middle infielder skills and an improvisational thing like we talk about you can have a quarterback and the defense wins the play but then the offense wins just because you have a quarterback that has a skill different than the other quarterbacks that they didn't have for a decade well this is an extra layer to that that you can change arm angles slots and you can get throws around defenders that have their arms up that are reading your eyes that are doing all of those things so it's just an extra layer that allows you to be able to win even if the defense has won to that point and since you brought up Brady and his baseball skills it was a hilarious tweet that i saw with him he was drafted by the expos the expos which haven't existed probably for like 20 years in 1995 that's when 17 of his tampa bay buccaneers teammates were not even born yet wow yes that's hilarious freaky so um one thing i wanted to say rod on the baseball stuff is in kind of the RPO game and the fact that it forced you to, to forces you to make kind of that quick transfer. I mm-hmm. like that term you use, right? That quick transfer. One drill, and I hadn't seen quarterbacks do this drill. Maybe I just hadn't been around as many high school practices as I probably should have in recent years. But uh, when Tom Herman and Tim Beck got to Texas, I remember that first spring, I saw them do this drill. And I ne- again, I never seen Texas definitely under Sean Watson or even under Mac Brown. Major Apple, Brian Hartz, whoever the quarterback's coach was, do this drill. Basically, they're working on a guy just taking the snap and just getting rid of the ball as quickly as you can, like 20 throws to the right side, 20 throws to the left side. And wow. it's not about it's not about accuracy. It's not about arm strength. It's just how fast can you take the snap and get the ball out of your hands? Like, they basically, they're working that muscle memory because 
you know, you do have a lot of quick game throw screens, RPOs, what have you. It's, a big it's just again, Rob, like you said, working that working yeah. that quick transfer of just just take the snap and get rid of it. Take the snap and get rid of it. I, I hadn't, and maybe Texas was just as a program just behind the times on doing that. But I, that's one like you saying that that just it clicked for me right there. Just watching that drill and thinking, okay, this is just kind of the new way quarterbacks are being trained, where it's not these, you know five seven step drops and worried about footwork it's just how quick can you get the ball out yeah and i wonder because i think that's because now there are teams uh, that legitimately believe you know the the quick short high percentage passing game is just as effective as the running game for them yeah. and i was i want to say it's maybe an air raid philosophy too. just get it get it out quick and if you can you can get that tra- if you can perfect that transfer it's it probably doesn't take up much more time than a handoff, and at least you can get to the perimeter very quickly on a faster. smoke route or to receive it yeah. faster. Exactly, you might be right. You might be right, Matt. It's yeah, because the ball moves way quicker. It's going like at fifty miles an hour. Well, isn't that to take it back to baseball? Isn't that one of the things you're coached and little? Like, look, if you're if you're a pitcher and you pick up a ground ball, don't try to run the guy down when he's running down first base. Yeah, throw it to the first base because the ball gets there faster. Hundred percent. The ball can get there faster than you can. Well, and that's why why the yeah. brilliance of Mike Leach has always been there. Then he was the guy that was doing it all throughout, you know, the early two thousands. But like we watched yeah. Ben Roethlisberger come back from Tommy John surgery, he was getting rid of the ball, and literally it was like two point oh seconds for like the first month of the season. And everybody's like, "What the hell's going on?" The league adjusted and was able to shut down that underneath passing game when that becomes your entire offense. But like you had that become just like your normalized. Like last night between those two teams that. Played. It was the in neutral down situations, 34% and 35% were the amount of times that they ran the ball because the only team that threw the ball more than KC was Tom Brady. And he's been facilitating the running game by throwing to running backs and throwing to tight ends his yep. entire career because it's made your James Whites to all the way back to your Kevin Fox. He did it at running back yep. and then he did it with, well, who's the next closest? Let me get a giant like Gronk and you can have a guy that's within four years. So like, maybe I'm not as accurate down the field. I can age gracefully, but also it can be something where I can get those mismatches quicker and in space because the whole goal is get your best playmakers the ball in space and now it takes me less than it's a shotgun snap it's not having to drop backwards and then instead of handing off it's throwing the ball 50 miles an hour out to the guy so in one second two seconds it's like a fast break in basketball in the under six seconds theory that if the defense isn't set up or hasn't even began to get into their normal situation put them in an awkward situation is the Augie Garrido complex that he was like yeah maybe we shouldn't be bunting the ball all the time but it flips the pressure and now the pressure's on the defense and they're in an uncomfortable situation and if you're putting the defense in an uncomfortable situation a lot of the times that's going to put the offense in an advantageous situation i mean isn't this what we talked about with the texas offense in 2019 like the beauty of it was you don't need your offensive line to just blow people off the line of scrimmage and and roll guys off the ball because what's a better play for your offense trying to just keep it in the phone booth and hand it to keontae ingram or powering sam ellinger or throwing a perimeter screen to Devin DuVernay, sometimes even behind the line of scrimmage, and seeing if he can beat a guy in space. I, yeah. I, I'd rather take my chances with DuVernay beating a guy in space because, Rod, as we saw, if he if he makes the first guy miss, how many guys are, are going to be able, even if they've got a good angle, be able to run him down at before he's 20, 25 yards down the field? 
Yeah, and it goes back to Bijan. two things, right? Goes back to what we talked about the, at the beginning of the show, the numbers advantage. That's that's the number one reason you do it. Usually, you give your quarterback the he should have the you know the audible ability to be able to go. All right, I'm counting numbers in the box. We don't have the numbers advantage in the box. They've matched our numbers in the box, but on the outside, we got one on ones. All right. I'll throw it to the one-on-ones. Let's go. Ask my guy to make a play. So it's a it's a numbers thing, it's simple math. And number two, I think it's a know your personnel. You just said it with Devin Duvernay. Know your personnel. You got you got the right guy out there in a one-on-one. It ain't really a one-on-one. If I I got Devin DuVernay one-on-one out there in the slot and you got your, you know, your third best cover guy on him, it's not one-on-one. I actually win that one-on-one, right? So I think it's a know your personnel thing. It goes back to the numbers advantage. And um, I think that's probably why you're seeing it more and more. You just take, you know, we always said, you know, football was meant to be played in a telephone booth initially. Um, They started to slowly expand out. Well, you're just taking the box, which is, you know, counting numbers in the box. They're matching us in the box, put eight in the box, and you're putting the box on the perimeter. So you just took the box and put it outside, and now it's a two-on-two. Well, that's better than um, having, a, you know, an eight-on-eight in the box because there is all of this uh, scrum you're going to end up in. But if I can go one-on-one on the perimeter with a lot more space and it creates space, that's easy. That's easy money. That's why you want to have the right personnel out there. Uh, a Jordan Whittington one-on-one, a Jake Smith one-on-one, mm-hmm. that when or Troy Miri, I guess, in the future, when you have that one-on-one, yeah, you have the superior athlete, that's when you win that one-on-one. Or use pre-snap motion and get Bijan out there one-on-one and do whatever you need. That's why we talked about Bijan having more avoided tackles than receptions against Kansas State. Like, he had three receptions and he broke four tackles. It's because he's yep. getting the ball out in space and it's a lot better of space than being handed off to him. A little quick flare screen to a guy like that and boom you're gonna be off to the races but you know rod i like the way you broke that down there because that just made me think like i think tom herman when you go back to 18 and we talk about the 19 offense not evolving and then 20 as productive as it was it just like we know what what the end game was what the deal was at the end of the day like i think tom herman got to i don't know it's like you i'm trying to find i'm trying i'm struggling to figure out how to frame it but it's almost like he just got too intoxicated off of what that 18 offense did with with lj humphrey and colin johnson and devin duray which like i said by the way all three of those guys are playing in the national football league right now yeah like all three of those guys could win one-on-ones in their own different unique way right like with colin johnson it's the body control the high point ball skills lj humphrey's that ability to work through traffic duray it's the world-class speed and i think like tom herman thought especially like once I think when you look at the 20 offense, like once all three of those guys are gone, it's almost like Tom Hurst said, well, I mean, we did this with Colin Johnson. We did this with LJ Humphrey. We did it with Devin Duvernay. Why, why can't it work? Well, because Josh Everyone's Moore different. Jake Smith, and, well, those guys are good. They're not Colin Johnson. They're not exactly. Devin Duvernay. They're not LJ Humphrey. Yep. And the one unicorn you have offensively happens to be your running back, which means you now you need to change the way you think about that position where, yes, you've been by committee, but the by committee approach no longer holds any weight, no longer valid when one guy is better than everybody in the committee. Yeah, there's not yep. one way to play football. You got to evolve to your talent. Yep, that's a, 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 it's ironic too that he's a Greg Davis disciple who we praised. Yep. One of the best traits about Greg Davis was his ability to evolve 
and tailor the offense around specific talent. And you're right, Tom. In 2018, it was. It was a perfect mix, right? Andrew Beck in mm-hmm. being an elite blocker in the backfield. He's still in the NFL because his ability to block uh, as an elite blocker. And then I think, honestly, I think uh, it was a Cal. I think Calvin Anderson was a little underrated with that group. He was in the NFL. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there were just some pieces that fit perfectly together. And you're right, uh, Jeff. And, and when he lost those pieces, he tried to replicate that very same model instead of just adapting and evolving the scheme when he lost those guys. And, yeah, he never did it successfully. And you're right, the, the offense scored points, but the reason they weren't able to score when they needed to in those crucial games or, you know, in, in, in those fourth quarters, in those big games against Iowa State, I guess you throw that out there too. I guess they did score a lot versus Oklahoma. But against TCU late too was because because they did not know their per- he did not know his personnel well enough to find the matchup advantage. And the opposition the, uh, got quite familiar seeing the same Tom Herman offense. Yep, you know the, the, the best. We're doing a lot of baseball analogies today, but the best way I can describe the Texas offense, the twenty twenty Texas offense, to somebody that's going to look in the record books, Rod, 10, 15 years from now, and say, like, "Wow, they were really productive." I mean, yeah, but. They're really like a guy that hits 40 home runs for a, a, a team that finishes like third Chris in their Davis. division. Like, oh, well, well he, hit, he hit 40 home runs. Yeah, but how many of those did he hit in the, seven in, in the seventh inning when they're down like nine to three? Yep. You know, like it, it did, the numbers are there, but it didn't, it didn't mean anything. Yep. At totally the end agree. of the day. Yep, and that's why. And it, but they didn't mean anything because he wouldn't. It's like if you to play Bijan more in crucial moments of the game, knowing that he was a transcendent player, yeah. then and then remember they learned how to use Brandon Eagles late in the season. They finally started scheming him open a little bit more. There were just little things that held the offense back, and they learned these things early, right? Using more empty formation. You know, if they'd observed these trends and patterns earlier, or just listen to Longhorn Blitz, but if you've observed these trends and patterns <laughs> earlier in the season, I think it would have led to them having more success, but they didn't. They didn't recognize that Bijan was transcendent early enough. They didn't recognize, you know, using a lot of empty formations, that Sam Mellinger would thrive. They didn't recognize more RPOs. Sam Mellinger thrives running RPOs. The quick game, that's what Sam's good at. They he wanted to stay with the, stay, the same drop-back, deep, vertical passing game all the time. Not a lot of ways to scheme guys open, and it just came back to bite them late in the season. And ironically, once the season was over, you saw two of the best offensive outputs, period, in that K-State game and in the Alamo Bowl against Colorado because a lot of people that believe that Tom Herman probably wasn't calling the plays anymore. To tie it all together, Rod, it goes back to what you said about Andy Reid's deficient game plan in the Super Bowl where it just kind of turned into, well, we just got to hope Mahomes makes a play or two. That's pretty yeah. much what the Texas offense was in 2020. Like, you get down in the fourth quarter, it's like, well, better hope 11 pulls through if we're going we're gonna to be on the right side of this one. <laughs> And sometimes, sometimes he did. Sometimes he did. Damn right. It's a damn shame too. Like uh, even, but even Steve Sarkeesian said that, right? That's that thin line they were walking on all yep. the time. Yeah, we we'll, we can get more into that uh, that next week, and we'll get into some other stuff next week as uh, the off season officially begins. And like I said, National Signing Day in the rearview mirror. Uh, the draft process is up next. We got spring ball starting on March 23rd, tentatively the spring game, nice. set, set nice. for April 24th. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we get a uh, we get a full spring and can finish it off with a nice spring game at DKR. But that is going to do it for this week's show. Good, uh, good football talk, gentlemen. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Uh, anytime, brother. I want to say one thing, though. I am happy that Sark is actually watching film of the old team. 
that's something that Tom Herman didn't do. And we probably right. should have known that that was the beginning of the end. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty close-minded. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, a, that's a great jumping off point, Rob. We will pick that back up next week because I definitely want to get into that uh, next week and break down more from that press conference. We don't know what we're going to hear uh, from the Texas head coach again uh for matt for rod for everybody at the austin radio network and the horn live local and digital on the horn app and at hornfm.com where you can get rod beat each and every weekday on the triple option from three to seven same as plug you can get myself and craig way each and every weekday on life the tower from 10 to noon and thanks to matt you can get all of our archives our classic interviews and shows are all available on the longhorn blitz soundcloud page yep just type in longhorn blitz don't forget to get this podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcast. Hit the subscribe button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz, State of Recruiting, and the flagship. And don't forget to like us and leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.